Job chapter 40 is where we are. Job 40. Shannon's just messing with me. She's like, I want to see if he can stay at the pulpit every service. Um, well, a little self-control up here. Stay at the pulpit. All right, Job 40. Uh, and I would like to officially say that means we only have 75 verses left in the book of Job. All right? So we're close. We're close. Doesn't mean I'm almost done, but we're close to being done, I guess. Uh, Job chapter 40. Verse number one, moreover, the Lord answered Job and said, Shall he that contendeth with the Almighty instruct him? He that reproveth God, let him answer it. I'm going to stop right there. That's, that's where the Lord pauses right here. And uh, he is obviously, he's been speaking for a few chapters now, and he has been getting on Job pretty hard and trying to get Job to see who he is versus who God is. And uh, we're getting right, we're right to the end here of, uh, of that first portion and then he's going to let Job answer here for a few verses. Uh, and let's just have a word of prayer and we'll, we'll jump right in. Father, I thank you for the morning and we thank you for your goodness to us, for your mercy and your care of us. And Father, we thank you that you'd allow us to come in and we pray that uh, you'd help us, Father, to just get what you need us to have today. Father, but also that we would give you the praise and the honor and the glory that you so richly deserve today. And I pray that you'd uh, just be with the services, be with the Sunday school hour and our teachers, be with pastor as he prepares. I pray you'd help him to be able to preach with clarity of thought and mind this morning and that, uh, Father, you would be able to help us see what we need to see and know what we need to know. And then, Father, I pray we would do what we ought to do. And, Father, we pray you'd come back soon to take us home in Jesus, our Savior's name. Amen. And that's where we are, Job chapter 40. I stepped back. That was a terrible mistake. Uh, Job chapter 40. And uh, the Lord, obviously, he's continuing. And he asked, the, he asked the final question of the first portion, shall he that contendeth with the Almighty instruct him? Uh, Job, you've been contending with me now. And uh, we saw that over and over here. He's, he's been picking a fight with God, basically. He feels the Lord is mistreating him and, and taking him and, and just you know, the arrows of the Almighty have come and all the other things that he has piled up and uh, basically tried to make the Lord look unrighteous. And so he asked, the, he asked uh, Job, are you going to, you that contend with me, are you going to instruct me? Are you going to tell me how this is supposed to go, Job? You're going to tell me what's supposed to happen? You're going to give me the instructions? Uh, and then he says, he that reproveth God, let him answer it. And now I want to hear you tell me what you want me to do. Uh, Job, I've covered all the reasons why you have no idea what's going on, and I know everything. And so now, Job, give me an answer. That's, that's it right there. Uh, so verse 3, then Job answered the Lord and said, Behold, I am vile. What shall I answer thee? I will lay mine hand upon my mouth. Once have I spoken, but I will not answer. Yea, twice, but I will proceed no further. Uh, Job's, Job's reply is an accurate one. Uh, he finally, he's, he's got it. Uh, he's been waiting for the Lord to give him an answer and the Lord has answered. And now Job is silent. Uh, this is the way that it normally goes with mankind when confronted with who God is and who we are. Uh, we are able to recognize that we're vile. That's his statement. I am vile. Uh, compared to God, you can look around at mankind and mankind, what, what do they try to do? They try to look around at each other and go, well, I'm better than him and I'm better than him and I'm better than her and I'm better than this person. And that's, you could do that. Uh, then you look at God 
And in comparison to God, you may be pretty good on the worldly standard of what good is, but then you step in front of God and now you're vile. Uh, your iniquities have been piled up so far in comparison to how holy and righteous God is, and there is no comparative. Uh, we're vile in the sight of God, and Job recognizes it. Uh, we have that repeatedly. Thank you much. Uh, we have that repeatedly in uh, uh, places like Isaiah, right? Isaiah chapter 6, we all know the spot, right? You've got um, Isaiah there, and he's brought up in front of the Lord. And his statement, he falls at his feet, he falls down, and his answer is, I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell amongst a people of unclean lips, for mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Uh, he understands, hey, I'm, I'm not clean. Uh, I just saw holiness, and now I understand I'm not clean. That's the right perspective from God. Oh, praise the Lord. All right. Feel free to move about the pulpit area. Um, and so... Uh, Job's, Job's recognizing what Isaiah recognizes later. Uh, look over at Romans chapter 3. Just hold your spot here. We'll just grab a couple of spots here. Romans chapter 3. I like this spot. Uh, John has the same thing when he shows up, right? Revelation chapter 1 and verse 17. He recognizes that uh, when he steps in front of God right there, he falls at his feet as dead and he's, he's not clean. Uh, his answer is to worship. Uh, Romans chapter 3, look at verse 19. He says, Now we know that whatsoever things, uh, what things soever the law saith, it saith to them who are under the law, that every mouth may be stopped and all the world may become guilty before God. Uh, there it is. You step in front of God, you recognize you're guilty and he isn't. <laughs> you know what Job's finding? Job's finding, uh, I'm guilty, I'm vile. I'm the one who's messed up. I don't know what I've done, but I didn't do it right. And I know when I accused him, I was wrong. And now I'm vile. And then he makes sure that God understands that he was saying that. I will lay my hand upon my mouth. I'm going to shut up. Once have I spoken, but I will not answer. I did say something once. And twice, yea, twice, but I will proceed no further. That's it. I, I spoke out of turn twice, and I'm, I'm going to shut up now. I understand you're God and I'm not, and I don't know what I was thinking a minute ago. That's, that's the right answer. Uh, you know, David makes his complaint before the Lord because the Lord's the one who can fix the problems. Uh, we have those times we come before him, but when we start laying the accusation to God, we need to recognize that was a foolish statement. God's got it all under control, and it's his power and his might. And so as we continue here in Job chapter 40, uh, we understand Job's answer is quite accurate. Uh, he has spoken out of turn. He has spoken against the Lord, and his answer is, I will proceed no further. I'm not, I'm not talking on that line ever again. <laughs> We're not going down that road. Uh, we, we did that. I messed that up. We're not continuing. And so this is ultimately, that's a repentance of what he had said before. And now the Lord's going to continue, and he's going to continue for the rest of this chapter as well as the next. And he says, uh, then, the, then the Lord answered uh, then answered the Lord unto Job, here in verse 6, uh, out of the whirlwind, and said, Gird up thy loins now like a man, I will demand of thee, and declare thou unto me. Uh, this is, here he comes. Uh, we thought he was rough in the last couple of chapters. Now here he's going to, he's, all right, you, you want to you be the man? Okay, here it is, you're going to answer me now. And he asked four questions, and four questions nobody can answer. 
He says, uh, verse number 8, Wilt thou also disannul my judgment? Can you, can you eliminate God's judgments? Nope. <laughs> Not one person on the planet or in the universe can disannul the judgment of God. When He wants to judge it, it's over with. You're not, you're not going to undo what God does in His judgment. Wilt thou condemn me that thou mayest be righteous? Can you con- condemn God for being unrighteous so you can feel righteous? Isn't that what mankind does to each other? Condemn somebody else so that you can feel better about yourself? That's, can you do that to God? Well, the Pharisees tried. They took Jesus, trumped up the charges, did everything they could so that they could make him unrighteous so they could feel righteous and vindicated. Can't do that to the one sitting on a throne right now. He let them do that. What, are you going to condemn him? That you're going to be righteous? The atheist goes, well, you know, I, God, I'm not going to believe in God because bad things have happened and I, I, don't, I can't believe that there's a God, so I'm not going to believe in Him because He took my grandmother at the age of 85 because uh, she smoked cigarettes 24 packs a week and uh, God was evil and He took my mom and so, or my grandma. And condemn God? For what? Can't do it. It's not going to make you righteous. It'll make you more unrighteous. Job figured that out. I am vile when he's confronted with God. Hast thou an arm like God? Uh, Do you have the strength God has? Do you have the power that he has? Later he's going to make a reference to salvation. uh, Here in verse number 14. He says, Then will I also confess unto thee that thine own right hand can save thee. You have the strength. Didn't he save us by his right hand? The Lord Jesus Christ is his right hand, his right arm. You, you got that kind of power? Nope. <laughs> you don't have an arm like unto God. Or canst thou thunder with a voice like him? Whew. You talk about the voice. We've talked about it a few times throughout the, throughout the last part here in Job. His thunderings, the voice of many waters, that voice that goes out and the thunder that he causes and the who can do that? Nobody but him. There's, those are unanswerable questions for mankind. You can't say yes to one of those questions. Uh, you're not going to be more righteous because you accuse God of something. You're not going to be able to undo his judgments. You're not going to be able to be as strong as he is or as uh, vocal as he is and as powerful and as might. We can't do it. Job, you are inadequate. And then he's going to, uh, he's a little sarcastic here in verse 10. Verse 10, he says, Deck thyself now with majesty and excellency, and array thyself with glory and beauty. Cast abroad the rage of thy wrath. And behold, everyone that is proud and abase him. Look on everyone that is proud and bring him low. And tread down the wicked in their place. Hide them in the dust together and bind their faces in secret. Then will I also confess unto thee that thine own right hand can save thee. He goes, hey, Job, I'm going to give you some impossible things for you to do. You realize he's looking at Job sitting in an ash heap, covered in sores from head to toe that he's scraping off. The guy's a mess. He's rent his garments, sitting there in the ashes and the dust. and the... He's gross. And the Lord looks at him and says, 
go ahead, put on some excellency and majesty. <laughs> How's he going to do that? He doesn't have anything to put on. His stuff is gone. His wealth is gone. His power, everything that he had is gone. And he's sitting there in an ash heap. And the Lord says, okay, go ahead. Get, get some majesty on you. Go ahead and be majestic. How's he supposed to do that? He can't do that. But he can't do anything else in the rest of the chapter either. Cast about thy rate, about thy, the rage of thy wrath. Okay, Job, your wrath is going to get poured out on somebody. Go ahead, go after the proud. Look what he asks him to do. Everyone that is proud, abase everybody who's proud. Okay, how's that supposed to work? Abase those that are proud. Can, can you make anybody who's proud be abased? Since, since when have you brought a proud man down to being abased? Yes, sir. There's... Yes. Yeah, you could definitely liken it there to that condition. That sinful, our sinful condition. The sores, uh, leprosy, the type of sin, the sore that pops up, and he's got boils and sores and all those pieces. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and so he gets here, and he's looking at, he's looking at Job going, are you going to make anybody proud be abased? Then he says, uh, verse 12, look on everyone that is proud and bring them low. Tread down and tread down the wicked in their place. How's Job supposed to do that? Hide, uh, hide them in the dust together. Bury them. <laughs> and bind their faces in secret. Blind them. He says, if you can do all that, then I will confess unto thee that thine own right hand can save thee. If Job, if you can take care of that, you can save yourself. You don't need me. You see, this is, this is a great spot right here. Who's the only one who does those things? The Lord's the only one who does those things. He's the one who abases the proud. He's the one who goes ahead and puts them down and brings them low. Who's the one who, when he pours out his wrath, the world's going to know it? When he decides that he's finished and he wants to put his wrath out, isn't it I tread at the wine press alone? And in his fierceness and in his wrath, he comes down and he tramples out the vineyard. Who did that? The Lord did. Who's the, one, who's the one in charge when he does that? Oh, the king of all the children of pride. He goes ahead, yes. This man, it was screaming at the top of his lungs that I do not need your Jesus Christ. I am fine alone. And he was just screaming it. And I thought, the, the same pride, it hasn't changed through all these years of mankind. 
And right. James and I both looked at each other and he goes, this is going to come back at him oh. someday when God is judging that, that those moments are going to come back before him. Yep. Mankind's pride is still, it, it's so evident and they, they don't want to bend. They don't want to and they'll bend. It's so funny what they'll bend to in this world. And when the king of the universe steps in, they don't want to move. And it's so strange. And sadly, I'll slide this in because I like to be mean to everybody. Uh, that's sad about us. The world steps in and we bow, we bow to what they wanted us to do instead of what the Lord wanted us to do. And uh, that's a sad state of, of mankind. We're so proud against God. versus, And that's what Job was. Job was proud. He doesn't feel I deserve these things. And the Lord's kind of flipping that on him. Let him understand, hey, I'm the one who abases the proud. I'm a, you want somebody brought down, I abase the proud. I'm the one who puts down those people. I'm the one who, when we get to wrath time, they're going to know, and my wrath is going to take care of this problem right here. Your wrath doesn't, doesn't go ahead, and, and, uh, go ahead and, and put them in the dust and put the wicked in their place. You don't, you don't do that, but I will. <laughs> when, the Lord, when the Lord goes ahead and binds Satan at the end of, at the, end of the the uh, tribulation, he goes ahead and throws him into a bottomless pit for a thousand years. He put him in his place. That's what he did. That's When he ends up finally putting him in a lake of fire, it's all over with. That's him putting him in his place. That The wicked are going to be put in their place. And it's all done by the Lord. And if you could do all those things that he's listing here, you know what you'd find? You'd find out that you could save yourself. That's his statement. Well, then your right arm could save you. You don't need me. But you, you can't do that. Notice this. This is interesting. Uh, look over at uh, look over at Hebrews chapter chapter one. We'll jump over there first. Hebrews chapter one. So first he tells him to go ahead and put on some garments, make himself look majestic and beautiful, and have that glory and that amazing status right there right he wants him to do that and then he says and after you do that go ahead and and take care of all the proud and the wicked go ahead and do that well you know the lord made the universe in verse number 10 here of hebrews chapter 1 and thou lord in the beginning hast laid the foundation of the earth and the heavens are the works of thine hands they shall perish but thou remainest look what he likens them to and they all shall wax old as doth a garment and as a vesture shalt thou fold them up, and they shall be changed, but thou art the same, and thy years shall not fail. He calls the universe his garments, clothed in glory. You know what's amazing about it? Is he's going to fold up that universe at some point. Amen. The end of time, he'll fold that up, he'll put new garments on. It'll be a new heavens and a new earth. You know what else he does right before he does that? He puts on some garments. Look over at Revelation chapter, chapter 19, right? Revelation chapter 19, verse number 11, And I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse, and he that sat upon him was called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he doth judge and make war. Here he comes to do what? To abase the proud and to tread down those in his wrath. <laughs> He's going to take them down. And what does he do? Well, he clothes himself. His eyes were as a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. He had a name written that no man knew but he himself, and he was clothed with a vesture, dipped in blood. <laughs> and a 
His name is called the Word of God. He goes ahead and he gets clothed, he gets ready, and he's going to bring uh, out of his mouth go with a sharp sword, that with it he should smite the nations. And there he is. Grabs his sword, and away he comes. You say, what's he in? He's clothed in his garments to do what? Matthew chapter 25. He comes down, he abases the proud, he destroys their armies. As you read the rest of Revelation chapter 19, obviously. Matthew chapter 25, look at verse 31. Of course, he's bringing judgment to the unprofitable servant there. But verse 31, when the Son of Man shall come in his glory... And all the holy angels with him, what's he going to do? Well, then shall he sit upon the throne of his glory, and before him shall be gathered all nations. He's going to sit on his throne, and it's the throne of his glory. He's going to be sitting in his majesty <laughs> with everybody abased around him. Say, how is it that God can save? Because that's, that's who he is. Amen. That's exactly who he is. Look back at Job chapter 40. He brings, he brings those folks low. The proud he brings low. That's what he did to Nebuchadnezzar, isn't it? Oh, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, what are you doing? Oh, I'm just eating grass like an ox and I can't see what I'm doing. He blinds them. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? That's what the Lord does. He can do that. He can bind their faces in secret and go ahead and put them in the dust whenever he feels like it. And you and I have no control. And so if you can do those things, you can save yourself. You have no need of God. The trouble is that mankind needs God. They need a Savior because they can't do any of those things. If they could, they would have all the power that God had. You can't do it. You can't do it. And now he's going to talk about something that I wasn't sure how I want to do. And so we're going to get into something here in just a moment. That, Well, here we go. Behold now Behemoth, verse 15, which I, made, uh, which I made with thee. He eateth grass as an ox. Lo now, his strength is in his loins and his force is in the navel of his belly. He moveth his tail like a cedar. The sinews of his stones are wrapped together. His bones are as strong pieces of brass. His bones are like, the bars, of, are like bars of iron. He is the chief of the ways of God. He that made him can make his sword to approach unto him. Surely the mountains bring him forth food where all the beasts of the field play. He lieth under the shady trees in the covert of the reed and fens. The shady trees cover him with their shadow. The willows of the brook compass about him. Behold, he drinketh up a river he hasteth and hasteth not. He trusteth that he can draw up Jordan into his mouth. He taketh it with his eyes, his nose pierceth through snares. Ah, uh, you get Behemoth that shows up. Now, uh, Behemoth, uh, in all the new versions, basically, uh, and all the commentaries want to go ahead and name what Behemoth is, and so uh, they change them to a crocodile or a hippopotamus or an elephant. Those are the three that they use, and those are all ridiculous. So I'm not even going to yeah. dispute any of that. Uh, I don't need to. It says Behemoth. Now, Behemoth, I'll tell you, is the plural word uh, for uh, for that in the text, um, that's not a singular. And once again, uh, 
what he is doing is he is naming another animal. Now, as naming another animal, we're going to get into some other stuff with this, uh, but if you were to go back to chapters 38, 39, right, as he was leading up, he had talked about animals repeatedly. We talked about that uh, last chapter. 39 was an entirely full chapter of animals. That's what he was doing. Uh, you, had, you had 12 of them listed already. Goats, hinds, uh, wild asses, unicorns, peacocks, ostriches, horses, grasshoppers, hawks, eagles, lions, Ravens, number 13, behemoth. That's kind of weird. Number 13, uh, number of rebellion, also the number for the Antichrist uh, is associated with him. Uh, the beast of Revelation chapter 13 and Daniel chapter 7 is, I believe, what he is describing right here in the chapter. Uh, he is not describing the animal likeness. Uh, he may have animals that are similar in nature, animals that you can reference to and you can see likenesses of. Uh, but behemoth is the plural form of behemoth, and he's talking about this beast right here. Now, you say, yeah, but he's, why would he say uh, that in plural? Well, uh, look over, we're going to grab Daniel chapter 7, and this is going to take me a, a few minutes, in case you're wondering. Um, and I know... I know the choir has to get ready, so I'm going to try to stop on time, all right? Uh, Daniel chapter 7. Now, you know, I, I can't cover all of the things, all right? So bear with me, and if you have questions later, I will gladly answer questions later. So I'm going to try to do, i got to cut these passages down, because if I read all of them, all, all the way, we're in trouble, Okay. Uh, and so, uh, you know the passage here, I hope, in Daniel chapter 7, and the vision that is there with the four great beasts in verse number 3 that show up, diverse one from another. You get the fourth beast that shows up in verse uh, number 7. And this I saw in the night visions, and behold, a fourth beast, dreadful and terrible and strong exceedingly, and it had great iron teeth. It devoured and break in pieces and stamped the residue with the feet of it, and it was diverse from all the beasts that were before it, and it had ten horns. And that sound familiar to Revelation chapter 13? We'll get there. I considered the horns, and behold, there came up among them another little horn before whom uh, there, were the, uh, there were three of the first horns plucked up by the roots, and behold, it was in this horn were eyes like the eyes of man and a mouth speaking great things. Uh, look over at Revelation chapter 13. Here he is, Revelation chapter 13, verse number 1. And I stood upon the sand of the sea and saw a beast rise up out of the sea, having seven heads and ten horns. There he is. And upon his, ten, uh, upon his horns ten crowns, and upon his heads the name of blasphemy. And the beast which I saw was like unto a leopard. There's one. And his feet were the feet of a bear. Two. And his mouth as the mouth of a lion. Three. And the dragon gave, gave him his power and his seat and great authority. And I saw one of his heads as it were wounded to death. And his deadly wound was healed and all the world wondered after the beast. And I'm going to pause. Uh, you say, what has he got? He's got three animals that he likens him to. The lion, the bear, or the leopard, the bear, and the lion. 
does that on purpose. Uh, you say, why did he use behemoth back there in Job then? Uh, because it means beasts. It's multiples. And this guy is three and one. Doesn't that sound familiar? Almost as if he's trying to mimic something. Uh, three and one, the trichotomy that he's trying to mimic. Uh, and here he is, and he's the leopard, the bear, and the lion put together. And you can look at those things, and I don't want to cover all those things, but the leopard ultimately, uh, the body is like a leopard. So that's, uh, he's, he's white, yellow, brown, or black in color. Uh, he's integrated. He's, got, he's trying to bring the world together. Everybody in the world. Bring them together. So he's integrated. Uh, his feet were like the feet of a bear. Uh, bear is normally the reference probably to Russia. Uh, no coincidence there uh, on what's happening in the world. Uh, right? And so that'd be, that'd be the idea of communism. One world government. Government takes care of everything. Isn't that what the Antichrist wants? One world government? Um, and then you get into the, his, feet, his mouth is the mouth of a lion. That's the reference normally to, to uh, England. And you say, what's he going to do? He's going to be English speaking. Speaking English, fully integrated, uh, and a communist. You say, you sure about that? Nope. But yep. <laughs> say, what, what are you looking at? I'm looking at the world today. Uh, by the way, uh, I could seriously jump into some serious conspiracy theories, all right? I am all for uh, the fact that the world is in a conspiracy right now. Uh, you realize that uh, the entirety, and I'm not, I'm not going to be crazy, I promise. Uh, you realize you can say that there's a conspiracy because there's a prince in power of the air who is the ruler of the kingdoms of this world currently, and his job is a conspiracy to do what? To go ahead and persecute the church and destroy Israel, and to remove any worship of God from a planet. He's conspiring. <laughs> and he's doing it throughout the world's governments. That's not a sh that shouldn't be a shock to anybody. Uh, if you're reading the Bible, you should realize this is not shocking. <laughs> so you don't have to get sucked into the black hole of all those things, because guess what? The Bible already told you all these things. Uh, it's going to go that direction. Now, how bad it's going to get before a trumpet sounds, no idea. <laughs> you say, is it going to get worse? Probably. It'll get worse. At least for us in America, it's already worse in most places in the world. Uh, you and I just don't have to deal with it. Uh, but the truth is that this guy here, he's those three beasts put together. And he's got, he's got attributes like that. It's not unusual for God to liken uh, things to animals. Uh, isn't Jesus Christ the Lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the world and also the Lion of the tribe of Judah? Doesn't he also become the serpent as Moses raised up the serpent in the wilderness? Even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. Isn't he a worm and no man in Psalms? I mean, we can keep going. I hope I don't have to. Uh, right? The Lord uses those likenesses repeatedly. And so this is what he's doing. And he's, even though he's used the word behemoth back there in Job, uh, the statement is about this beast. Now notice, uh, go back to Ezekiel chapter 1. Ezekiel chapter 1. 
I'm also not going to explain everything in these passages, okay? Some of them I don't know, so I don't even want to try to explain them, all right? Uh, Ezekiel chapter 1, and the Lord's going to show up here. And I'm going to jump down to verse number 4, but the Lord's showing up. And Ezekiel, I looked, and behold, a whirlwind came out of the north, a great cloud and a fire enfolding itself, and and a brightness was about it, and out of the midst thereof, as the color of amber, out of the midst of fire. Also out of the midst of fire came the likeness of four living creatures. And this was their appearance. They had the likeness of a man, and everyone had four faces, and everyone had four wings, and their feet were straight feet, and the sole of their feet was like the sole of a calf's foot, and they sparkled like the color of burnished brass. And they had the hands of a man under their wings on their four sides, and they four had their faces on their wing and their wings. Their wings were joined one to another. They turned not when they went. They went everyone straight forward. As for the likeness of their faces, they four had the face of a man and the face of a lion and on the, on the right side. And they four had the face of an ox on the left side. They four also had the face of an eagle. Thus were their faces, and their wings were stretched upward. Two wings of every one were joined one to another, and two covered their bodies. And they went, every one straight forward, whither the Spirit was to go. They went. And they turned not when they went. And, the likeness of, and as for the likeness of the four living creatures, their appearance was like burning coals of fire. And like the appearance of lamps, it went up and down among the living creatures. And the fire was bright, and out of the fire went forth lightning. And living creatures ran and returned as the appearance of a flash of lightning. Uh, so here are these guys, these, these creatures that show up, and we know, uh, over to, hold your place right here, but chapter 10 is the other place that you see these guys, right? And we know these are the cherubs because of these two passages. We also notice the difference between the faces uh, here as he goes ahead, and uh, chapter 10, you can read all the way from verse 1 all the way down again to verse 14. We're going to pick up somewhere in the middle here because I don't want to uh, read all of this, especially I don't want to read about wheels and wheels, all right? Uh, Verse number 8, And there appeared in the cherubs the form of a man, a man's hand under under, under their wings. And when I looked, behold, the four wheels by the cherubs, cherubims, one wheel by one cherub and another wheel by another cherub, and the appearance of the wheels was as the color of a barrel stone. And as for their appearances, they four had one likeness, as if a wheel had been in the midst of a wheel. There it is. Uh, when they went, they went upon their four sides, and they turned not, and so on. And verse number 14, and every one had four faces. The first face was the face of a cherub, and the second was the face of a man, and the third fa- the face of a lion, and the fourth the face of an eagle. And the cherubims lifted up the, this living creature, and so on. Uh, and so these are the cherubs. Now I'm going to get to why I'm doing all this. Uh, but the cherubs, they have the four faces. Interestingly enough, uh, the face of a cherub is not the face of a man. The face of a cherub is the face of an ox. It's a calf. Uh, why do the children of Israel go ahead and make molten calves? Uh, very simply, for who they were worshiping. They were worshiping a cherub. Hmm. Now, they didn't know it, but you'll know it. Uh, Ezekiel chapter 28. Ezekiel chapter 28. Now, some of this you guys know. Some of it might be new. Some of it might be none of it. I don't know. But 
You get to Ezekiel chapter 28, right? And you get Lucifer. You get the anointed cherub that covereth. Notice who he is in verse number 12. Uh, the word of the Lord came unto me in verse 11, 12. Son of man, take up a lamentation upon the king of Tyrus. And say unto him, Thus saith the Lord God, Thou sealest up the sum, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. Thou hast been in Eden, the garden of God. Well, then it's obvious it's not the king of Tyrus that's sitting on a throne. It's something behind him. It's something inside that's, that's ruling him, which would be the, de the devil. Thou hast been in Eden, the garden. Every precious stone was thy covering, the sardis, uh, topaz, the and the diamond, the barrel, the onyx, and the jasper, the sapphire, the emerald, and the carbuncle, and gold. The workmanship of thy tabrets and of thy pipes was prepared in thee in the day that thou wast created. Thou art the anointed cherub that covereth, and I have set thee so. Thou wast upon the holy mountain of God. Thou hast walked up and down in the midst of the stones of fire. Thou wast perfect in thy ways from the day that thou wast created, till iniquity was found in thee. By the multitude of thy merchandise they have filled the midst of thee with violence, and thou hast sinned. Therefore I will cast thee as profane out of the mountain of God, and I will destroy thee, O covering cherub, from the midst of the stones of fire. Thine heart was lifted up because of thy beauty. Thou hast corrupted thy wisdom by reason of thy brightness. I will cast thee to the ground. I will lay thee before kings that they may behold thee. There he is. Uh, and it's, of course, a reference to Lucifer when you get over to Isaiah chapter 14. You can cross-reference it, right? And what he's going to do to him and bring him down and all the things that he's going to add on. Uh, and so what do you have? Well, interestingly enough, uh, the devil is referenced as the serpent, right? Uh, over and over again, he's the dragon, the serpent, whatever uh, reference you'd like to use. And uh, amazingly enough, you see those four faces, right? You have the face of a man, the face of an ox, the face of an eagle, and the face of a lion. You're missing reptiles. You have everything covered on the planet outside of reptiles. What do you think the fifth cherub probably had with him? Well, that's probably his domain. And the dragon, that's probably what he represented. And go back to Genesis chapter 3. Say, but serpents aren't beasts. I mean, this guy's a beast. He's supposed to be like behemoth, the beast of the field. Right? He's going to eat the grass. That's what it, the first thing he says about him is eating grass. All right? Genesis chapter 3. You know what happened, right? Adam and Eve, they sin. Satan beguiles Eve. She eats. She gives it to her husband also. He eats. And then we get the judgment of God comes out. Well, look at verse number 14. And the Lord God said unto the serpent, Because thou hast done this, thou art cursed above all... What's that next word? Cattle. Mm-hmm. Why in the world is he talking about cattle? <laughs> Why do we have cattle in with the serpent? Unless he was a cherub. That had the face of a cherub. And he puts him down below the cattle. Uh-oh. And now what? Now he lumped him in with cattle. And the beasts of the field. There he is. And behemoth becomes a beast of the field. Say, so you're grasping. Okay, feel free. But he demoted him into the cattle. That's what he did. Put him down. Look back at Job chapter 40. I'm going to try not to get too far off into too many other little areas. 
You notice I was trying to cut that pretty tight of a, of a little window I was trying to cover right there because uh, I got about two minutes before Andrew hurts me, all right? Uh, so here we go. I'm going to just show you a couple of things. We're going to cover this a lot better next time, all right, when I finish this up. But notice what he talks about him. Uh, he tells him uh, he eateth grass as an oxen, or as an ox. Uh, that, well, that's what a cherub is. He's an ox. Uh, lo, lo, now his strength is in his loins and his force is in the navel of his belly. Uh, where does strength come from? Who's the conquerors in the world? That's well, Japheth. He goes and dwells in the tents of Ham, or in the tents of Shem, I'm sorry. And he goes across, right? He goes ahead. He's the conqueror. You say, where's his strength? In his belly. Isn't that the belly of a leopard? White? Japheth? Where's his strength? Uh, he moveth his tail like a cedar. The sinew of his stones are wrapped together. His bones are as strong as uh, strong pieces of brass. His bones are like the bars of iron. You go ahead and look at iron. Iron is repeatedly attached to the Antichrist and types of the Antichrist throughout the scriptures. You already read it in Daniel, right? Daniel chapter 7, his teeth, that beast, his teeth were as the teeth of iron. He had teeth of iron to devour. Uh, you get to... Uh, Notice verse 19, he is, chief, he is the chief of the ways of God. He that made him uh, can make his sword to approach unto him. The Lord's sword is going to get close because he's the one who made him. And he's the one who can break those bones, piercing even the dividing asunder of soul and spirit of the joints and marrow and is a discerner of the thoughts. His sword takes care of all of it. Uh, and then you can get down. Uh, think about this for next time if you'd like. Uh, notice... The rest of it, you go, well, that's about animals, right? The mountains bring him forth food where all the beasts of the field play and so on down with the trees. And uh, remember this, uh, trees are not always trees. Fields are not always fields. And water is not always water. If he's making a type, what's he doing with those three things? And what's the devil going to do with those three things? All right, we're stopping. Let's have a word of prayer. Father, thank you for the day. I pray you'd bless the day. And Father, once again, we pray you'd come back soon to take us home out of this mess. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, take a break.